Iroquois History and Legends. I'm Andrew. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to our Legends Podcast, Part 3. I always like these. These are more fun for me than the the linear history tellings. This is more fun than actually learning. Yeah. Um, we did have one listener question uh, since our last episode, Caleb. Hey, Cotters. I'm just going to assume that this is how they sound. I was watching the History Channel. Big mistake. That, that's me. A lot. And this particular episode was on the focus of Champlain and the lake that he named. This episode said that the natives told Champlain of a lake monster that they feared. I can't find anything on the matter. Did you find something in Champlain's journal about it? Or maybe a legend of the Iroquois? Thanks. Okay. First of all, as soon as the History Channel started doing Ghost Hunters... That's a pretty quick sign that you should not ever listen to anything they say. Like all networks, they are about ratings and the fact of a mysterious monster being mentioned hundreds of years ago in some explorer's journal. That that sells. Uh, so what did he really see, Andrew? What do you know about this? Well, I had to go back and look because I was like, I would have thought this would have been something found because we did a lot of research on Champlain before this. Uh, it turns out Champlain did write about a massive creature he saw in the lake. Yeah, if you recall from our, I believe it was either three, oh no, it was the hunting and fishing episode. Yes. We actually mentioned a, a, a huge sea monster that weighs up to 300 pounds. Yeah, it's a fish. Yes, it's a sturgeon. And yeah. yes, Champlain saw them and noted in his journal and said, there is a very big fish. In this water. In this water. I don't know what it's called, but there is a big creepy fish. And he left it at that in his journal. And that's all it said. Now, uh, that being said, uh, it is misquoted. It's uh, a thing I found on the internet. I just Googled Champlain, you know, lake monster. And all these things come up with this quotation from Champlain, which is totally fictitious and not found in there at all. Uh, they, dated, they backdated it, and it was first found in a publication in 1970. I don't know, maybe the History Channel put it out. <laughs> um but it was in Vermont Life, and in the article it says that Champlain is alleged to have documented a 20-foot serpent as thick as a barrel and a head like a horse. Totally made up, not in his journals whatsoever. Yeah, you can go right on to like Google Books and look up uh, exact translations of all Champlain's journals. They're all there. Uh-huh. You Public can read domain. them yourself. Public domain. And... You can even Google search the text in the journal. Yeah. Um, so the question is, where did this come from? Um, so like many opportunists of the time, there were these, you've heard of Lake Loch Ness with the Loch Ness Monster. Well, Lake Champlain had some eccentric people back in the 19th century that claimed that they saw uh, these river or lake monsters. And so there was this guy, supposedly, uh, in 1819, named Captain Crumb. That just sounds... <laughs> fictitious to start right off the bat but he said that he saw an enormous snake monster which was 187 feet long uh, and approximately 200 yards away from him and despite being that far away he still said that uh it it had you know three teeth and the eye color of peeled onions and it had a belt of red and a white star on its forehead Oh, that's really specific. It is. And so apparently... How, how far away? 200 yards? 200 yards away. Two, fo two football fields away, and you could tell it had three teeth. Yep, and a star in its head. That's impressive. Yep. 
but Captain Crumb for you. <laughs> so after that, there were arising these legends all the time of people claiming to see the thing. And apparently there's this photograph taken in the 1970s, which looks exactly like the photo of the Loch Ness Monster, you know, the faded, far away with the little neck, kind of look like an ancient platosaur dinosaur sticking up out. And quite honestly, it could be just about anything floating in the water or somebody putting a prop in the water and you can't tell the distance or the grains are so... Granulated? Granulated <laughs> that you can't tell. So anyway, uh, it's a huge tourism thing. Apparently, uh, they call, they've nicknamed it and call it Champ, short for Champlain. And so they've got tourist signs up there and everything. And there's even a minor league baseball team up in Vermont called the Vermont Lake Monsters for their uh, minor league team. So if you're up in Vermont and you're one of those crazy cryptozoologists, we apologize for not taking you seriously. But Champlain never saw a yes. lake monster. And for, for everybody else, yes, it's safe to swim in Lake Champlain. It's nice spring-fed water. You don't have to worry about anything. And if, if a monster does tear you down and uh, eat you... Um, Make sure you at least get it on your iPhone. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, you were right after all. Uh -huh. um, that being said, um, there was an Algonquin uh, legend, apparently. I um, looked up, and there was a tale of a serpent that would allegedly eat people while they were fishing, uh, which kind of parallels to back to our Bell Bear Hill legend story, which we mentioned the serpent that uh, ended up eating the village. Um, so that, I hope that answers your question, and um, I would highly recommend listening to more podcasts, such as this noble one, to get your information, versus a channel that focuses on ancient aliens, pawn shops, and don't American forget, garbage dumpers. Don't forget, <laughs> don't forget ghosts. And ghosts. <laughs>
I know, said the old man. Every day is a beautiful day, when I'm not disturbed and I'm allowed to work in peace. What are you doing there, said Fox. I'm minding my own business and trying to work. I don't think you are, old muskrat, said Fox. Well, it certainly isn't any of your business, said the old man. I suppose you think you're a good painter, said Fox. But I see a leaf that you cannot paint. I know who you are, said the old man. And to think, I thought you were a smart animal. And now I see you're as foolish as a slug. Do you know who I am? I am Autumn. And I have been painting leaves since the world began. There is no leaf that I cannot paint. This made Fox a little cross and made him think as hard as he could. How can I make a fool of this old man, he thought. I have found a leaf that you cannot paint. Impossible, said the old man. Point to it. It's right here. Fox pointed with his nose to the reflection of a leaf on top of the pond. A small bead of sweat ran down Autumn's face. But then he confidently put some paint on his brush and dabbed it into the water. Within a second, the paint ran away and the leaf stayed green. Fox laughed and rolled. Very impressive. How long did you say you were painting leaves? Fox ran through the woods laughing. Before he got out of earshot, he yelled back, I'll know who to find if I ever need a paintbrush washed. Goodbye, old man. When you can paint that leaf, I'll let you rub all your paints and brushes on me. Ha <laughs> ha! Fox disappeared into the woods. The old man was stumped. He thought for a long time, and after a while he muttered some words under his breath. And then he went back to painting. Fox was still running through the woods, in the best humor he'd been in in days. What a good laugh I had today. The only way to make this day better is to end it with a full belly, he said. He ran to the pond where he hoped to find some dinner. When he got there, he heard a great commotion. There were lots of ducks and all different kinds. There was mallard and blue wing and green wing and redhead. And in the far end of the pond was wood duck looking much more composed than the others. Fox crept closer. He heard the ducks fighting and arguing over something. Mmm, thought Fox. I would love to eat some duck right now, but they're so deep in the pond, and I can't risk getting my beautiful coat wet. Mmm. I know, he said. He jumped on top of the log by the edge of the pond and yelled to the ducks. Hello, my feathered friends. It's a lovely day. The ducks looked up with alarm. They knew Fox had an appetite for them, and they were not going to be fooled. Fox, quack, Fox, quack, Fox, quack, Fox, quack, Fox, quack, Fox, quack, It's a lovely day out here in the deep water, away from you, sly killer. What is that? said Fox. I could not understand you. Why is it that all the other birds can sing and talk with the most lovely, beautiful voices, 
but you poor ducks talk with the most horrible voices. All the ducks began to cry. They knew how bad they sounded. In fact, that's what they were talking about before Fox yelled at them. Fox began to cry as well. I'm sorry for saying such mean words about your voices and for the tricks I've played on you all these years. I understand why you don't trust me. I've been a sneaky murderer. I've been a thief. And I've paid for it in my own way. I'm alone and friendless. My whole life, I've lived for me and what I want. But today, I turn over a new leaf. I understand you don't want to talk to me, but let me do one good deed for you before I go. I can help you. I know the magic voice song. Let me teach it to you. You will all have beautiful voices, and we can call this a parting gift before we part our ways. It goes like this. There is my voice. Oh, I can sing. Oh, I can sing. I've learned to sing by dancing, by dancing. If you need a pretty voice, Come and make a choice. The only way to sing prettily is by dancing, by dancing, by dancing. The ducks applauded at the end of the song. You see, they said to one another, Fox is our friend now and has become an honest fellow. Let us go and learn the magic song. We too will have beautiful voices like Fox. Please teach us, what is the first step in learning the song? The magic only works in complete darkness, said Fox. The first thing you will need is to all come ashore and build a cattail box where you can practice singing and dancing in the dark. As you do this, I will sing with you from outside the box. Anything else? said Wood Duck, without trying to hide his suspicion. Actually, said Fox, there is one more thing. Once the magic has started, it's very important to keep your eyes closed tight. If you open them during the magic, your eyes will turn red and you will lose your voices forever. So let me get this straight, said Wood Duck. You want us to leave the safety of the water, build a cage. A uh, magic dance box, Okay, interrupted Fox. A magic dance box and lock ourselves inside it with our eyes closed. I think we've heard enough. You must think ducks are very stupid. Come on, everyone. Let's fly to the next pond and be away with this sneaky murderer. No, 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 said all the ducks. He has changed now. If we leave, we may never have beautiful voices. The chief duck swam forward and ordered all the ducks to follow him to shore and begin making the box of reeds. All the ducks followed him, and the wood duck begrudgingly got in line with the rest. All of the ducks worked together and had the reed box built in no time. We are so close, said the ducks. Soon we will have sweet voices. Now, said Fox. 
you must all get inside the box and close your eyes. Be sure not to open them. If you do, the magic will make you blind and turn your eyes red. It is also very important that you do not hear the words as I sing them. If you do, you will all be turned to stone. When you are in the box practicing singing, sing as loud as you can. This will help stir the magic and also make it impossible to hear me speak the words. Are you ready? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, start. The ducks began singing and dancing in the box. And oh, what a horrible noise it was. That is good, yelled Fox, just like that. And now I will start the magic song. It was at the, that second that Fox reached his hand through the reeds and grabbed the fat chief duck's neck so tight that he did not make any noise of alarm. Over and over, Fox reached into the box and masterfully wrung the duck's necks and placed them in a pile. It was at this point that Wood Duck noticed the noise began to die down due to fewer and fewer ducks. He decided it would be worth the chance to open his eyes. When he did, they burned and turned red. But before he went blind, he saw Fox's hand grabbing another duck. He's killing us! He's killing us! Wood Duck screamed. At this, all the ducks opened their eyes, but they found that they had all gone blind from closing their eyes so long. Fly! said Wood Duck. All of the ducks flew in separate directions, hitting all sides of the box. No! said Wood Duck. We must fly up together! So all the ducks flew straight towards the ceiling and lifted the reed box right off the ground. And so the blind group of ducks flew in the box for a long time before they felt safe to land. But landing is not easy when you are all blind. And so they came crashing down. But they did not land hard. Something had broken their fall. It was Old Man Autumn. After the old man composed himself, he said, After all my years of painting leaves in this world, I've never seen a reed box filled with ducks fall from the sky. Wood Duck stepped forward and told him their story. And when he was done, he cried and said, Now not only do we have awful voices, but we're also blind. You are not blind, said the old man. Come here. The old man made some medicine from the ginseng plant and rubbed it on their eyes. Soon they could all see again. How can we thank you? said the ducks. I will tell you, said the old man. That sneaky fox has made a fool of me. And now I think it's time that someone made a fool of him. He bet me that I cannot paint the reflection of a leaf on the water. Which one of you can hold your breath the longest? That would be me, said Mallard. I can hold my breath longer than a fish. And all the ducks agreed. All right. When Fox comes down the trail, take this painted leaf to the bottom of the pond. When I touch my brush to the water, let the leaf float to the top. It was not long before Fox came running down the trail. Good day, old man, said Fox. Have you been practicing your painting? Ha 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 ha! 
Have you found a way to paint that leaf yet? <laughs> Actually, I have, said the old man. Come and see. Fox walked over with a smile on his face. Okay, old man, let me see you wash your brushes in the pond again. <laughs> but then something happened that wiped the smile right off Fox's face. As soon as Autumn's brush touched the water, a beautiful orange leaf appeared in the water, and the old man smiled. What? Said Fox, how did you... That, 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 that can't be. That, that's impossible. How, how did you do that? I told you I could paint any leaf. W well, said Fox, I, su I suppose you can. Um... But I, I really need to be going. Uh, wait a moment, said the old man. Don't you remember our wager? Uh, uh, um, our, uh, our, uh, wager, said Fox nervously. Yes. You said that if I could paint a leaf, I could rub my brushes all over you. No, 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 please, I'm begging you, not my beautiful coat, no, 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 don't. Fox tried to run, but the old man grabbed him from the scruff of his neck. I'm afraid I don't have any more orange or red. I used them all on the trees, but I do have some gray. The old man took his largest brush and wiped it all over the fox's body as he screamed, and I also have some black. He took another brush and painted his back. After this, the ducks could no longer hold back their laughing, and Maillard came up from the pond. <laughs> Fox had never been so embarrassed. He ran to the edge of the woods and cursed the wood duck. At least you have lost your eyes, said Fox. It's worth it said Wood Duck. For now, you have been marked as the murderer that you are, and dogs will chase you to the end of days. Just then, a pack of dogs ran through the woods and chased Fox away. It was from that point on that Wood Duck decided he would do what he thought was right and never follow the other flocks again. I hear he now lives in a tree and is very happy. Why Indians don't shoot pigeons. Once a hunter decided that he would venture into the woods in search of game. Any game would do, but of course he was looking for a large deer to bring back to his longhouse. On his way out from the village, his clan mothers gave him cornmeal and berries for provisions. After a few hours of travel, he found in the mud a clear, rut of tracks. For deer follow paths through the woods just as any Indian does. He began to follow the footprints. He was stealthful and quiet. The moccasins he wore on his feet made no sound as he traveled. Now the forest he was in was so massive 
that it would have taken more than three days to sojourn across it. All day he followed the tracks of the deer. Finally, just before sunset, he saw a small herd along the hedgerow. Slowly he moved around the brush, so not to give away his position. Now the hunter was not even within bowshot when he looked up and the trees began to crack and shake. The wind had shifted and was now blowing strongly towards his prey. At once their heads sprang up and their noses told them that something was amiss. The white tails began to stand erect and the lead doe began to turn and began walking. Then all together they made a sprint and within a moment they had all disappeared from the clearing. Disappointed, the Indian stared down and prepared to make his journey home. At night, he came to a cool, dark, swift-running stream. He was drowsy and hungry. Here, he said, I will lie down and rest until the new day comes. He began to look for a pine tree, for a bed of needles. For Indians love the pine tree. It is his friend both by day and by night. In the day it is his forest guide, and in the night it gives him a soft, sweet-smelling bed on which to sleep, and it protects him from the storm. Now it was quite dark, and the hunter ran along the stream. He felt no soft pine needles under his moccasined feet, only the twisted and knotted roots of trees. As he was searching for a place to lie, suddenly the great roots of an old oak tree reached out and caught him. Struggled as he did, he could not free his feet from the old oak's hold. All night he struggled in vain. The sun rose and set. The great tree still held him fast. He was weak from pain and hunger. Now, also as he began to thirst, for the brook was just out of reach, taunting him with its cool flowing waters. After stretching and struggling, he was able to cup a small bit of the crystal liquid, and after several times of doing this, his thirst was satisfied, but his state of hunger was not diminished. It was now two days since he had tasted food. Four notches had been cut in his stick, for the Indian measures time in this way. Each sunrise and sunset when he's on the trail is marked by a notch on a stick which he carries. Three times did the sun rise and set, yet the tree did not let go of its hold. There were now ten notches in the stick, and the hunter was so weak that he could scarcely cut the last one. As the sun rose on the fifth day, a bird flew into the tree. He saw the hunter lying on the ground and came close to speak to him. The hunter understood, for in those days men and birds could talk together. As he looked at the bird, he realized it was a pigeon. The bird asked the man what he could do for him. The hunter whispered, You are strong. You can fly. A long trail. Please, go and tell the chief of my people. He gave the bird the directions to go, and with a flutter of his wings, he departed. The bird flew swiftly away with the message. He did not wait until the sun was high. He did not stop to eat one berry or one worm. He did not fly high, 
nor fly low to talk to other birds. At one point, the mighty eagle shouted down from above and asked why he was in such a hurry, but the little bird did not answer. Then from down below, the bluebirds and the orioles beckoned to him to take a rest and tell them anything new that he had seen. He continued on his path, straight and determined. Every minute mattered, for the bird knew how weak the hunter looked. The west wind tried to blow him back, and a black cloud came up to frighten him, but he went right through it. On and on and on he went. Now for a man to walk back, it would be a long distance, but for a bird, he could travel ten times as fast. Hill after hill of the forest he covered, and then on the horizon he saw it faintly, a small haze rising up in the blue sky. The smoke from a hundred long houses ascended as a beacon to signal the way. Faster and faster his wings went, and he finally approached the houses. Straight to the longhouse of the chief he carried the message, and sitting down in the rafters he began to tell of the hunter's plight. But no one was paying any attention to the bird. The chief had called together the young men who were fleet of foot and was about to send them forth to find the lost hunter. They were asking the chief what trails they had best take. Before the chief could reply, the beautiful bird had flown close to his ear and began to speak to him in a soft, low tone. The chief told the young men what the bird had said, and they set off on the trail the bird had named. They raced through the woods swiftly, and before sunset, they had found the lost hunter. Carefully they freed him from the grasp of the great oak, and bore him to his people. That night there was a great feast, and a dance in his honor. Ever since, the Indians have loved the birds that carry the messages, and to this day, the Indians tell their children to never shoot a pigeon. Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed those two stories. I enjoyed the first one especially. It's always nice to see Fox finally get something coming to him. Yeah, it's about time. The past couple stories we've mentioned with him, you just you just want somebody to get it back to him for once, and uh, and he got it. And that was that's their story to tell why there's gray foxes and red foxes, and why the wood duck has red eyes and lives in a tree. Yeah, exactly. Did you did you know that that wood ducks live in trees? I didn't, which makes sense now why they're called wood ducks. Yeah. I saw one once, I was out hunting once, and yeah, it lived, it lived up in the tree, it had a little hole like an owl or like a raccoon, flew up into the tree with its mate and just crawled into the hole. In the did, tree. It, did it sing a beautiful song to you? No, it, it still sounded like a duck. Okay. So, and then as for our, our second story, that was in reference to back when we talked about our hunting and fishing episode, how the Native Americans, or at least the Iroquois, did not shoot pigeons with their bows or um, javelins or anything like that. They, um, they either caught them and snared them or just whacked them on the head, but they wouldn't shoot them. Yeah, out of respect for, you know, the story they had, out of respect, they, they didn't want to shoot them with an arrow. So it sounds kind of goofy, but at the same time, we have our own proverb that it's a sin to kill a mockingbird, so they had a similar one that it's a sin to, to shoot a pigeon. 
So thanks for joining us on these stories, folks. We hope to be back with you soon, and we're going to get back into our narrative. Um, yeah, what are we talking about in our next episode? We're going to be talking about how the Iroquois start to expand and reach out into new territories, and they're going to be attacking and getting involved in conflicts with the Erie and the Wenros and the Neutrals. How come I've never heard of the Neutrals? In fact, how come I've never heard of any of those nations you just said? Spoilers. <laughs> so tune into our next episode, which we've titled The Romans of the New World. See you guys soon.